0: Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. Let's give God some praise this morning. He is good, He is merciful, He is gracious, looking forward to our time together this morning. You go ahead and find a seat this morning. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and grab it. And uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and take it and go to Luke chapter number 15 is where we're going to be this morning. Luke chapter number 15. And uh, we're continuing the series uh, on uh, parables. And we've entitled this series, Truth Be Told. And we're learning some powerful truths that Jesus taught through forms of parables. And a parable, uh, what we've been mentioning and teaching the last several weeks, a parable is just a little story with a big idea. Uh, It's an earthly story, but it has a heavenly meaning. And Jesus has been teaching some very powerful truths uh, through these stories and through these parables. And we've been gleaning these this summer. And uh, how many of you have been encouraged through this series, Truth Be Told? How many of you have learned something, you've been encouraged, and God's been uh, teaching us some things? And so uh, I'm excited about this morning, Luke chapter 15. If you're there, say amen. amen. Luke 15, verse number one. The Bible says this, Then drew near unto him the publicans and the sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners, and he eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man among you, what man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. And when he hath found it, he leaves it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance." Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she had found it, she called her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. How many of you believe that this morning? Would you say amen? Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, thank you for this day you've given us. God, thank you for this opportunity to come and to worship you this morning. And uh, Lord, thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your love towards us. And God, this morning we pray for our nation and we pray for this time of, of difficulty where there is still much hate that exists in the hearts of Of many people in our country, and God, I pray that your love would just permeate the atmosphere. God, I pray that Christians could be bold to stand up and to declare the gospel with love and to speak the truth with love, and God, I pray that you would eliminate any sort of discrimination in our hearts and just remember that that we are created in your image, Lord, and I pray that we will just keep that at the forefront. God, I pray that you will be uh, with us throughout the next several minutes. I pray that we can uh, uh, look to your word and lean into your word this morning, Lord. I pray that we could all uh, learn something that would be of value for us and that we could leave this room differently uh, because of your word and because of your power. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, how many of you have ever been lost? Can I see your hands? You've been lost before, been lost. Okay, being lost is a terrible uh, feeling. If you've ever been lost, you know what it's like. It's not a good uh, feeling to have at all. And I remember several months ago, Katie and I Uh, we were getting ready on a Monday morning. We decided kind of last minute to take a trip to Disneyland. And uh, we decided to do something that we uh, normally don't do, and that's go to Disneyland without our kids. And uh, my father-in-law, he gifted us with some Disneyland passes, and so uh, we've been privileged to go, and we'll take the kids there, and we'll have a lot of fun. And Katie and I discovered, though, that we uh, typically only ride the children's rides. We were only riding the kids' rides, and so we thought, let's go one morning, and let's go uh, with just me and you, and we'll ride some of the adult rides. Because as fun as the Little Mermaid ride is, it gets a little old after a while. And so uh, we decided that we were going to go, and uh, we were going to uh, ride some of these rides, and so we got there, and we got there kind of early, and unintentionally we got there before the park had opened. Now I had never uh, been to the park early like that before before uh, it opened, and I kind of didn't know what to expect. And there was kind of this buzz in the atmosphere, and people were waiting in line, and people were kind of excited. And and uh, right before the park opened, this music started playing, and and uh, this voice came over the speaker that said, "60 years ago, Walt Disney had a dream to build a magical kingdom, and today you're going to experience that." And everyone's like, "Wow, you know, this is awesome," and and everyone's getting excited. And when the gates opened. It was madness. I'd never seen anything like that before in my life. People just started rushing through the gates and they started literally sprinting to the rides. They're like, I got to get on my ride first. And so they are sprinting through the park. They're jumping over benches. They're pushing people out of the way. And I'm like, this is crazy. I'm like looking around like, where's Katie? She is sprinting out like 100 yards ahead of me. And I'm like, this woman is amazing. You know, I'm so glad that I married her. So I'm like, I got to catch up to Katie. And so she's sprinting out ahead and I'm running after her and I see that she stops. And I was thinking, you know, I don't know why she stopped. And so I went up close and I discovered that she had found a girl, about an eight-year-old girl, who had been lost. She lost her parents. Her parents probably were trying to get to a ride first and thought, you were not important. And so uh, they went uh, to the ride and she was lost and she was crying. And so I thought, I thought, well, there goes our shot at getting on a ride first. You know, now we're going to be helping this girl. And right when I was thinking that, Katie said to the girl, this is a Disneyland worker right here. He'll help you. She looked at me and said, let's go. (laughs) And then we ran. And I was like, all right. And we ran to the ride. We rode the ride. I don't know if that girl ever did find her parents. I'm not exactly sure, but I trust that the Disneyland staff took care of the situation. I have great faith in them. If you've ever been lost, it's a terrible feeling. It's a terrible feeling to know that you're not, you're not sure where you are, or where you're supposed to be going, and when we're lost, we have this desire that we want to either be found or we want to be led or guided into the right direction. David had this prayer in the the book of Psalms where he said, Lord, he he said, for thou art my rock, Psalms 31, he said, thou art my rock and my fortress, therefore, uh, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. He said, God, without you, I'm lost. I need you to lead me and I need you to guide me for thy name's sake. Will you do this for me? Will you guide me? See, the Bible talks about a person whose life is without Jesus. That is a life that is lost. And we come to Luke chapter number 15, and we come to this section of scripture where Jesus uh, tells three back-to-back-to-back parables, and each one of them has the same reoccurring theme. And they're talking about things that are lost. Everybody say loss. lost. Things that are lost. And... Uh, each one of these parables has kind of different circumstances and different situations, but each one talks about someone that had lost something. And even deeper than that, each one of these parables represents uh, kind of a picture of the Trinity. In the first story, we see a shepherd who loses a sheep, and that is a picture of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Uh, the second parable, the second story, is a picture of a woman who loses a coin, and uh, she needs to turn the light on to, to, uh, to find the coin, and that is a picture of the illuminating uh, work of the Holy Spirit. And then in the third parable, we see a father that, that loses his son, his son goes out and lives a riotous life and he returns to his father and that is a picture of, of our loving uh, heavenly father and so we see these three uh, different parables here in Luke chapter number 15 but with one reoccurring theme and that is recovering that which is lost now to kind of get into uh, our first parable this morning we're gonna we're gonna cover two of the three parables in Luke chapter number 15 this morning and I want us to understand a little bit of the context uh, uh, for what's going on so if you have your Bible with you uh, nearby would you say amen Luke chapter 15, verse number 1. Let's understand the context going into these parables. Verse number 1 says this. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And I want to pause right there. If you want to hear from Jesus, you got to get close to Jesus. If you want to hear from Jesus, you got to get near Jesus. The Bible says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. And so these publicans and sinners, they say, man, we want to hear from Jesus. And so what do they do? They get close to Jesus. They draw near to Jesus. I love what the Bible says in the book of Psalms. It says in Psalm chapter 73 that it is good for me to draw nigh to God. It's good for me to get close to God. It's good for me to spend time with him. And so these publicans and sinners, they draw near to Jesus, because they wanted to hear Jesus. Notice verse number two, and the Pharisees and the scribes, they murmured, saying, this man receiveth sinners, and eateth with them. So uh, naturally, uh, there comes some criticism, right? Jesus uh, is around these publicans, and these sinners, and, and uh, the Pharisees, they see, see this, and there's some criticism. They say, this man receiveth sinners. Now, in the Greek, the word receive uh, receiveth there is an interesting word. It's prostekomai. And that is kind of an advanced word for the regular word of receive. The regular Greek word for receive is just decamai and it just means to receive something, to welcome something. But this word is a little bit different. It's a little bit interesting. It's prosdecomai, and it means to welcome something with love, to welcome someone into the family. It's a warm embrace. It's a warm welcome. And so what the Pharisees were saying and accusing Jesus of is, hey, this man receives sinners, but not just kind of he's around them, not just he spends time with them. No, he's welcoming them. He's embracing them. He's loving them. It's a prosdekomai type of receiving. In fact, it's the same word in, in Romans chapter 16, verse number one. And I believe we have this verse on the screens. It says this, I commend you unto Phoebe, our sister which is a servant of, uh, of the church, which is at Centria, uh, that ye receive. Everybody say receive. That ye receive her in the Lord. Receive her in the Lord as a sister in Christ. Embrace her. Love her. Receive her. That's the kind of welcome. That's the kind of reception that Jesus was giving. And can I tell you this morning that we need to get out into our community. We need to start having a little bit of pros decomai, where we're welcoming people with the love of Jesus. And we're embracing people with the love of Jesus. And we're welcoming them in. And we're not shutting them out. See, the gospel has never been about isolation. The gospel has always been about infiltration. We've got to stop isolating ourselves from the culture and start infiltrating ourselves into the culture so that we can reach people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. And so they were accusing Jesus, saying, hey, why does this man receive sinners? Why does he welcome sinners? But what they did not understand is Jesus could be in their company not to participate in their sin, but to pardon them from their sin. See, that is the beauty of the gospel. He receives them in order to redeem them. A lot of people say, well, I'm going to spend time with publicans and sinners. Well, remember, Jesus was the perfect lamb of God without spot. He never one time sinned. And so he was in their company, not to become like them, but to change them. And so we've got to get out into this culture, and we've got to get out into this community, not so we can become more like the culture, and not so that we can, we can become like the world, but so that we can change the world. Does anybody believe this morning that we have the power of God, that we have the ability to change our culture, that we have the ability to change our world, not because we're great, but because we serve a great God who is able, who is more than able. Our God, like we sang this morning, he is able. And so Jesus, he's receiving them. He's receiving And they didn't like that, and Jesus goes on in verse number three, and he spake this parable unto them. So Jesus, he sees and senses their criticism. How can this man receive sinners? How can he do that? And so Jesus decides to tell them a little story, verse number four. What man among you, what man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And what Jesus does here would have been so irritating to the Pharisees. He says, okay, let me tell you a little, little story, okay? Just picture yourself that you're a shepherd. Which one of you that, that has some sheep? Let, let's just say that you're a shepherd. Now, that would have been so irritating because in our day and in our culture, we kind of have a, a fairly positive view of shepherds, right? Like shepherds are good people. They're kind people. They take care of the sheep. And, and if you've grown up in church, you've no doubt had the little cotton balls and you put it on the paper for the sheep and the shepherd protects the sheep, right? Shepherds are a good, nice, kind, loving people. But in this culture, in this day, the shepherds had a completely opposite uh, view, uh, when the Pharisees and when the Jews thought about the shepherds, they were considered the low people. They were considered the outcast people. During this time, the shepherds were the ones that they didn't bathe a whole lot and they didn't have a whole lot of social skills and they were kind of just out in the wilderness all by themselves all the time. And they were kind of the outcast, the lowest of society. And so Jesus says, Let me tell you a story. Just pretend that you're a shepherd. Well, that would have been irritating because no self respecting Jew or Pharisee would ever consider being a shepherd, let alone hypothetically think that they are a shepherd. And so that would have just been so aggravating. Like, I don't want to be a shepherd. That would have been a little bit irritating, but Jesus was constantly assaulting their pride and their arrogance. Let's just say that you're a shepherd. He was attacking their, their, their self-righteousness he says, let's, let's say that you are a, a shepherd. And see, Jesus, he was not afraid to identify with the low, with the outcasts of society. In John chapter 10, verse number 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And so what that means is that, that our God, when he came from heaven to earth, he was not afraid to take upon him the form of a servant. And he was not afraid to be obedient unto the death uh, of the cross. He was not afraid to identify with the low and with the outcasts and the poor of society because he was demonstrating the ultimate humility, which the Pharisees, So desperately needed. And so he says, I'm the good shepherd. Hebrews 13, verse 10 says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead uh, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd. Everybody say, Great shepherd. So not only is he the good shepherd, he's the great shepherd of the sheep through uh, the blood of the everlasting covenant. And so this would have irritated the Pharisees so deeply. Let's say that you are a shepherd. And so from, this, from these parables, I want to give you uh, just a few uh, truths this morning about the heart of our God. I believe that from these parables, we can glean some principles about uh, the heart of our God. And so if you'd like to take notes, I'm going to give them to you this morning. Number one is this. God is relentless about recovery. God is relentless He's relentless about recovery. Notice what the Bible says in verse number four. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one, everybody say one, One. he loses one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? He says, I I love this sheep so much that I'm going to leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness what kind of uh, motivates that kind of action? Why would a shepherd leave the 99? Why would he, it doesn't even make sense. It seems illogical. Why would he leave 99 sheep in the wilderness to go after one? It's because the shepherd has great compassion and it's because the shepherd is relentless about recovery. He has to recover that which is lost. The Bible says in Romans chapter five, verse number eight, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we were in the very act of sin, Christ died for us. He loved us. He pursued after us, because we were valuable we were the one sheep that he wanted to go after and that he wanted to save and that he wanted to uh, rescue see our God is relentless about recovery second Peter 3 9 says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness but is long suffering to usward not willing that any should perish I don't even want to lose one sheep I don't want to lose anybody I'm not willing to lose anyone because I love them that much Ephesians 2 4 but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us great love I love what it says at the end of verse number four, until he found it, until he find it. You know, there is a sense of commitment here with the shepherd. He was going to go out, it didn't matter what danger he faced, he was going to go out until he found that sheep. See, true compassion is always partnered with commitment if you really have compassion, if you really love people, it's going to be partnered. It's going to be paired with commitment. If you say, yeah, I love people, then you're going to see that in your commitment. You're going to see that in your actions. You're going to see that in your dedication to the calling of God. So, so compassion must be partnered with commitment. And, and, and Jesus says, hey, I am the good shepherd. I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. You say, how far was Jesus willing to go? How, how far is he willing to go to rescue one sheep? How about from heaven all the way to earth to come to earth to live a perfectly sinless life and to die on the cross for your sins and for my sins why so that we can have a relationship with him so that we can go to heaven when we die why did he do that it was his great love he is relentless about recovering that which is lost and this morning you might feel like you are too far gone you might feel like you are the outcast of society and you might feel like you've been wandering off and I want to just say this Jesus loves you he cares about you he died for you he is relentless about recovering that which is lost he goes out into the wilderness. He risks his life in order to save this sheep. And notice what it says in verse number five. And when he found it, there was no if about this. When he found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Laid it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And so the shepherd goes out, he finds the sheep. And I love that the Bible says he places it on his shoulders. Now he has this 75 to 100 pound burden on his shoulders. And it doesn't say shoulder. It doesn't say that he, he took the sheet and put it on his shoulder on the side to kind of carry it over one shoulder. He places it over both shoulders, meaning he wrapped, he wrapped the feet around the neck. Why? So he could have a secure position so he could have a secure hold, he could hold it tight, it it could be stable, it could be secure. See, can I tell you this morning, once you're saved, once the shepherd has found you, you are eternally secure. You are secure in the Father's arms. You you don't have to worry about ever being lost again. He's not gonna drop you, he's not gonna forget about you, you're not gonna uh, get wandered off again. No, you are safe and secure in the Savior's arms. Anybody thankful today for the eternal security found in Jesus Christ? Not only are you saved, you are secure. Not only will Jesus save you, he will sustain you all the days of your life. And so, so the shepherd has the sheep over him, secure, stable, he's got him, got a good, good grip on him. If you were to think of a, a symbol for Christianity, if you were to think of a symbol, you would probably think of a cross. For years, the symbol for Christianity, the most popular symbol has been a cross, remembering what Jesus did for us, and the, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, and so we look to the cross often as a symbol of our faith, but the early church, and for many years, it was not a, the symbol was not a cross uh, for their faith, it was actually a shepherd holding a sheep, I think we have a picture this morning, and uh, this was the symbol in the early church. This is people would make little trinkets, and they would make little things made out of wood, and they would remember, hey, that's the picture that we want to remember. That's the picture that symbolizes our faith. It's a a good shepherd. It's a great shepherd who risks his life, who goes out into the wilderness, who goes up into the mountain to find one sheep, to to find one sheep that needs my love, and I'm going to put him over my shoulders, and I'm going to secure him in my arms. That's the picture. And so we see that our God is relentless, About recovery. Notice number two this morning. God offers complete restoration. God offers complete restoration. And I love this portion of this parable. And Matthew's accounting of this parable, Matthew's Gospel, he says in Matthew chapter 18 verse number 12, same parable, different book. How think ye if a man have a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and go into the mountains and seeketh that which is gone astray? Everybody say astray. The word astray in the Greek is the word planeo. It means to wander or to roam. To wander or to roam. Now, the Bible often compares us to sheep. And sheep are kind of dumb, right? Sheep are not very smart animals. And sheep tend to wander and they tend to just kind of be distracted and wander out and do different things. And as humans, we tend to wander. That's just kind of what we do. We get easily distracted, and, and uh, one minute we're here, and then we kind of just wander off and do different things. That's just what we do. And I remember several years ago, I was getting ready to go to uh, the Pantages Theater in L.A., and we were going to watch... Uh, the the performance Wicked, and uh, it's a show about, you know, the Wizard of Oz and and, uh, this big production, and so uh, Katie and I, we went, and I went with my brother-in-law and my sister, we went to the show, and uh, after the show, after you watch the show, you can kind of go out to the side, and there's this there's this like alleyway where the celebrities and and, uh, some of the actors and different people will come out from a door, and you can kind of just wait there, and as they come out, you can get uh, their autograph or take a picture with them, something like that, and so uh, after the show, we went out there, and we were kind of waiting there, and my brother-in-law, he saw that there was a door on the side of the building, and it was kind of uh, hidden because there was this big painted mural, and the door was a part of the mural, and so you couldn't really see the door, but just for fun, he kind of opened it, and uh, he was like, do you want to go in? And I said, I don't know why we wouldn't go in, so we, we, we went inside this door, we didn't know where it led, we didn't know what it, what it did, and uh, we kind of just were wandering back there, we found ourselves backstage at the Pantages Theater, and we're just like wandering around like, this is pretty cool, you know, we're just like looking around, and we're seeing all the actors that we just saw uh, in the show, and we're like just saying hi to them, and nobody even cared that we were back there, nobody was wondering what we were doing, and so we were just kind of wandering around, and we got lost in there. We were, like, with all the costumes, <laughs> we didn't know how to get out. And so we finally found a door to get out, and it was the same door that all the celebrities and actors were using to go and meet the fans. And so we found that door, and we walked out there, and everyone's like, who are these guys? And I walked up to Ken and I said, would you like my autograph? <laughs> you know? And uh, why did we go through that door? I have no idea. We wander. <laughs> we just like to wander. That, that's, that, that's just in us. It's just a human trait that we just wander sometimes. I'll go over here. I'll do this. I'll try that. And we wander. Even spiritually speaking, it's very dangerous, but it's true that We wander. That's what the hymn writer said, come thou fountain. He said, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God that I love. See, we don't want to wander. We don't mean to wander. We don't, we don't mean to leave God, but so often it's just kind of programmed in us. We just wander. That's what we do. Prone to wander. Prone to leave the God I love. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse number 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid him on the iniquity of us all. And so we tend to wander. And when this sheep wandered here in Luke chapter 15, he would have forfeited some things. When the sheep wandered, he would have lost some things. He would have lost three things in particular. He would have lost uh, pasture, the provision that he needed to eat. He would have lost pasture. He would have lost peace. And he would have lost protection. But I love that when the shepherd finds the sheep, he restores peace. He restores pasture, and he restores protection. Let me show you what I mean. He restores uh, peace. The Bible says this in Psalms chapter 23, verse number two. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. I love that. He, he's going to make us lie down in green, whether you want to or not. Whether you like it or not, I'm going to make you lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still water. See a life in relationship with Jesus. will always have the provision that you need. You'll always have the pasture that you need. When you are wandering away from God, and when you're far from God and wandering into sin, you're going to miss out on pasture. You're going to miss out on provision. You're always going to be wanting something more. You're going to be searching. You're going to be hungry. You're going to want something more. But if you are in relationship with the father, if you are in relationship with the shepherd, you are going to have that green pasture that only the shepherd can lead you to. But not only does he restore pasture, he restores peace. Notice in our text, verse number six. If you're with me, say yes. Yes. And when he cometh home, I love that word home. When the shepherd brings the sheep back, he does not take them back to the old pasture. He doesn't say, let's go back where all the other sheep are. Let's go back to the old pasture. Don't kick them in there. Don't, don't leave again. No, he takes them home where his friends are, where his family is. He says, let me let me bring you to a better place. Let me, let me bring you to a place better than you came from. Let me bring you home where my family is. Let me let me bring you home to a place of peace and to a place of safety. And maybe you've been wandering far from God, and I want to say, only with Jesus can you have a true sense of peace and a true sense of satisfaction that you are home, that you are safe in the Father's hands. And so he brings him home. And then he restores protection. He's back into the fold. And, and uh, he's there with his, with his shepherd, and he's forever safe. The Bible says this in Psalm 61, Verse number one, hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Have you ever had an overwhelmed heart? Have you ever been in a place in life where you thought, this is bigger than me. I can't handle it. I've wandered off a little bit, I admit it. And I don't think I can find my way back. When I'm overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. See, what the psalmist was saying is, hey, with God, with the true shepherd, with the good shepherd, with the great shepherd, there is protection. The safest place you could be is in the center of God's will. Psalm 23, verse number four says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Aren't you thankful today that God offers complete restoration when we walk out, and when we forfeit pasture, when we forfeit peace, and when we forfeit protection, God says, hey, come to me. I'll give it all back and more. Our God is a God of complete restoration. Maybe this morning you feel like you've been wandering. Maybe you feel like you've, you've been drifting a little bit. It's natural. We tend to drift. We tend to wander. The Bible says this, speaking of the Israelites, I want you to see this, these verses. Psalm 107, verse number four says, they wandered in the wilderness, okay? They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted in them. And so the children of Israel, they were wandering in the wilderness. They were hungry. They were thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. They were longing for something more. They were lost, wandering. But then... Then, and I love that key word, then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them out of their distresses and he led them forth by the right way that they may go to a city of habitation. See, they were wandering in the wilderness and they were lost and they were thirsty and they were hungry, wandering about, but they had a moment of realization just like the prodigal son. He came to himself. He had a moment where he came to himself and then they started worshiping the Lord and then they started lifting out their voice to the Lord. See, if you want to stop wandering, you've got to start worshiping. You want to stop wandering around. you got to start worshiping the Lord. you got to start worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. See, we've got to put our eyes back on Jesus and say, I'm sorry, I've been wandering and I've been drifting and I've been all over the place, but I want to worship you for who you are. I want to come back into the fold. I want to come back to peace and back to uh, provision and back to pasture. I want to come back to you. And God says, good, because I love to offer complete restoration. Number three, God sees great value in lost things. God sees great value in lost things. Everybody say value. We all tend to hold things that we would claim are valuable. What I might say is valuable to me, you might not say is valuable to you, but there are certain things in life that we claim to be valuable. Notice what the Bible says in verse number seven and eight. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Verse eight. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver and she lose one piece, doth not light a candle, and sweep the house, and seek diligently till she find it. And so in this second parable, we have a woman who loses a coin and a piece of silver. And this would have been uh, the, the, the Greek drachma. It's similar to a Latin denarius. It's... it's uh, it's a smaller amount, according to most uh, commentators and historians. They would say this coin was probably worth about a day's wages. And, and it's kind of hard to put an exact amount on this coin, how much it was worth in monetary uh, views. But most people say, maybe you could picture like $100. Okay? And she has 10 of them, and so her aggregate wealth is $1,000. And she has these coins, and she, she loses one of them. And I want you to see, though, that, that the value of the coin is more than just monetary. In this culture and in this time, when a woman was getting ready to be married, uh, the father of the bride would give her a headband of coins. I believe we have a picture of one, what one might have looked like this morning. A picture of of these coins, maybe. There it is. And uh, so she would wear something like this. And this this headband would have represented several different things. One, it would have represented her and identified her as a married woman. Uh, Kind of like today in our culture, we wear wedding rings, and it identifies us as being married. In this culture, if you wore one of these, it would would show and identify that you were married. It would also identify uh, the independence of a woman. If the husband decided that he wanted to divorce the woman... She could remind him that she had enough money to kind of get back on her feet. So it kind of declared her independence. And uh, it also identified a woman of adultery. If, if a woman was caught in sin or caught in adultery, uh, a coin would be removed from the headband. And so everyone that saw her would see, oh, this woman has been in sin, she, she, she has been in adultery. And so this, this, this headband was far more than just $100 or far more than just a little bit of monetary value. It was completely and 100% valuable to the woman. That's why she turned the house upside down. She had to find it because it held great value. Can I tell you this morning that when God looks at your life, he sees great value? Can I tell you this morning that when God looks at you and your situation, he says, hey, fearfully and wonderfully made, when he looks at you, he says, hey, there's great value, there's great worth, you are his workmanship, You are his masterpiece. Sometimes we don't feel like a masterpiece because we let other people ride on us, and we ride on ourselves, and we kind of tear down what God has created. But I want to tell you this morning that you are his workmanship. You are his masterpiece. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, and when God looks at your life, no matter what your past looks like, no matter what situation you might be in, he sees great value. Ten years ago, in January, the iPhone came out, and uh, Steve Jobs had a dream to uh, uh, develop and, and put out this iPhone. And uh, in January, they celebrated their 10-year anniversary. But uh, Steve Ballmer, who was the Microsoft uh, CEO at the time, he said this about a couple mo- uh, in April, a couple months after the iPhone came out. He said this, there's no chance that the iPhone is going to get any significant market share. No chance. There's no chance that the iPhone is going to get any significant market share. No chance. And 10 years later, Apple has sold over 1 billion iPhones. Not a billion dollars in iPhones, they've sold a billion iPhones. Can I tell you today, don't let anyone else define your worth. Don't let anyone else tell you how valuable you are. See, we need to find our value from the Word of God. Because if you're not finding your value in the Word, you're going to find your value in the world. And the world has no business defining your value. And so we need to find our value in what God says about us, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And no matter what you might think and no matter how you might be labeled, God sees you and he sees great value. There's great value in lost things. One theologian said it this way, here is divine love portrayed from an entirely different side. The sinner is not only in the eyes of God a suffering being like the sheep on whom he takes pity. He is also a precious being created in his image, to whom he has assigned a part in the accomplishment of his plans. A lost man is a blank in his treasury. He values lost things. Notice number four, God empowers us to locate the lost. Number four, God has empowered us to locate the lost. If you have a few more minutes in you this morning, will you say amen? Amen. God empowers us to locate the lost. Notice what it says in verse number eight. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And uh, a couple years ago on Mother's Day, I uh, was thinking about a gift that I needed to get my wife, Katie. And uh, I was thinking, you know, I want to get her something nice, something that she'll appreciate. And I decided to get her a little keychain that is called a tile. How many of you have ever heard of a tile before? Can I see your hands? And uh, if you don't know what it is, basically it's a little device that uh, through Bluetooth hooks up to my phone. And if she ever loses her keys, we'll be able to beep the keys and we'll be able to find it, right? And uh, so I thought, happy Mother's Day, stop losing your keys. And uh, that'll be great. But, but this little device, it was not a great gift. In fact, she was like, what is this? She didn't get it. And I was like, it's going to be awesome. But she, she didn't fall for it. But this little device, this little tile it empowers us to be able to find these keys whenever they're lost, right? Whenever these keys get lost, which they get lost often. Whenever these keys get lost, I just go on my phone, I pull up the little tile app, and I press the button, and these things start beeping, and we can find the keys. So because of this little, this little uh, tile, uh, this little device, I'm able to find these keys. Now, God has empowered us to locate that which has been lost. He's empowered us. Now, I want you to see it, because uh, this woman, she is empowered through three different things. And I want you to see him uh, uh, I want you to see him in, in our text today, in, in verse number eight. Either, "What woman having 10 pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle?" And so he empowers us. I want you to see it through illumination. Everybody say illumination through illumination. She has to turn the light on. She has to uh, light the candle. She has to get the lampstand going so she can see before it was dark, but now she wants to see uh, uh, where uh, things are so she can locate the coin. See, if we're going to locate the lost in our community, we're going to find people in our community that need Jesus and that need the gospel. We're going to do it through illumination. How do we do that? The Bible says in Psalms 119, it says that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So we need the word of God. If we're going to reach people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus It's not going to be because we have the best programs. It's not going to be because we have the best buildings. It's not going to be because we have the best teams. No, those are all great and good things, but it's going to be through the power of the word of God. The Bible says in Isaiah that his word will not return void. And so we're going to need the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit, the illuminating work of the word of God to help us locate that which has been lost. So not only through illumination, but I want you to see sanctification. Okay? Notice what it says in verse 8. She's going to light the candle and sweep the house. She would never find the coin until she swept the floor. She had, to, she had to sweep the floor. It had to be cleaned. Why? Because it might be under dirt. It might be under some trash. And so she had to sweep the floor. If we want to be effective in service, we've got to begin with sanctification. The word sanctification just means set apart to be holy. We've got to be prepared and meet and ready for the master's use. We are clay in the potter's hands, and we've got to be sanctified. And so if there is sin in your heart that's unconfessed, we're never going to be empowered to reach the lost because we're not turning the light on, and we're not sweeping the floor. We're not being sanctified. And so, through illumination, through sanctification, and then through dedication, look at what it says in verse number 8. She, at the end of the verse... And seek diligently till she find it. Seek diligently. It's one of the only times in the New Testament that word diligently is used. She 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 sought after it with all of her heart. She had some persistence. I'm going to keep on working. I'm going to keep on looking. I'm going to keep on uh, locating and trying to find that which has been lost. And I want to tell you this morning. If there's anything that I can promise you about Rock Hill Baptist Church, it's this: we we started this church six months ago, and we are serious and we are dedicated about reaching lost things. We're dedicated to reaching lost people, and we're going to do whatever it takes. We're going to seek diligently. We're going to turn the house upside down we're going to take the couch the the cushions out of the couch we're going to look everywhere and try to find lost people because that's what God has called us to do we are here to reach people we want to find people the outcasts the hurting the broken that's why we're here and so we've got to do it through illumination through the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God we've got to do it through sanctification we've got to be pure and holy vessels so that God can use us and we've got to do it through dedication we're committed we're persistent to the calling that God's given us do you got one more in you only the front road. You got one more in you? Come on. All right, here we go. Last one. Number number five. God celebrates a repentant heart. He celebrates a repentant heart. I like to celebrate. How many of you like to celebrate? Can I see your hands? Uh, Some of you that maybe didn't raise your hand, if you were at a sports game or you were somewhere doing something that you love, you would celebrate, okay? We all like to celebrate something. And God celebrates a repentant heart. Verse number 9 says this, And when she hath found it, she called her friends and her neighbors. And I love that in the the Greek, she calls her friends and her neighbors. Those are both effeminate. And so she went and she found her female friends. And God uh, bestows a particular dignity to, to the women here. And he says she goes and she finds her friends. And the women get together. And they start to celebrate. They have their own little praise party. They have their own little girls rock uh, event and celebration. Get registered September 9th. Uh, They have their own uh, party. Just a little commercial there. They have their own celebration. They get together, all the girls, and they say, come on, we just found this coin that was lost. Let's celebrate. Let's rejoice that we lost this coin. Notice verse number 10. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Wow. I say unto you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God. I used to read that verse and I used to think that means that the angels, they started to sing, they started to celebrate and throw a praise party. And I think that's partially true. But did you notice in verse number 10, it says that there was celebration, there was rejoicing? Watch, verse number 10. There was joy in the presence of the angels of God. There was joy. In the presence of the angels, that meant that they were listening, they were receiving the celebration, they were receiving the joy in their presence. And I believe what that means is that when there's a sinner that comes to repentance, God leads the way and he explodes in celebration and he explodes in enthusiasm and excitement. And he is celebrating the fact that one has been lost in the presence of the angels. And the angels start to chime in and they start to sing and they start to celebrate. And I want to tell you that since we started this church in January, there's been 60 people that have prayed and accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And when we hear something like that, we ought to praise, we ought to celebrate, we ought to get excited. We can get excited about all kinds of things, but people's lives are being changed. And People's lives are being transformed by the power of the gospel. And if there's anything we ought to celebrate, if there's anything we ought to be excited about, it ought to be about a sheep that is found and a coin that is found and people that are found in our community that are lost and that are hurting and that are broken. And now they have restored fellowship with the good and with the great shepherd. There ought to be some celebration. The Bible says in Psalms 96 verse 2, sing unto the Lord. Would you stand to your feet with me? Sing unto the Lord, bless his name. Show forth his salvation from day to day. Oh, come, Psalms 95 verse number one. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Does anybody believe this morning that our God is worthy of praise and that he is worthy of our worship and we ought to be getting out into this community and letting the Holy Spirit empower us to reach the lost so we can bring them back into the fold and bring them back home and we can start celebrating. If you haven't noticed yet, God's into celebration. The shepherds, they threw a celebration. The girls got together. They had a girls party. They threw a celebration. The the, the father that lost the son, what did they do? They threw a big party. There was dancing that you could hear. I mean, what kind of dancing can you hear? That must have been a great party. That must have been an amazing party. God is into celebration. And this morning, I want to tell you, if you can sit back and hear about people's lives being changed and their eternity being altered and they can go to heaven and nothing is happening, you might want to get a heart check because we ought to celebrate when people come back to the repentance and when people say Jesus I want you and I'm choosing you that ought to cause us to celebrate and to have joy this morning would you bow your heads and close your eyes if God is that relentless about recovering the lost so should we if God is willing to leave the 99 so should we Maybe today you're wandering. Maybe today, like the sheep, you've gone astray, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you that our God offers complete restoration. Maybe you're hurting, maybe you're broken, maybe you've been wandering. Today can be the day where you give it all back to the Lord. Just like the song we sang a moment ago I know your past is broken, I know you're hurting but you can receive God's mercy. He loves you. He cares about you. You're valued. How many could say, Pastor Matt, in the privacy of this moment, nobody's looking around just so I can know how to pray for us as a church family. How many could say, Pastor Matt, God spoke to me in one of these areas, whether it's about uh, locating the lost or whether it's about understanding my value in Christ or, or whether it's understanding about how much God loves me, but in one of these areas, God spoke to me. If that's you, can I see your hand? God spoke to me you can put your hands down. We're going to conclude our service. We call it a time of invitation. And Seth is going to sing here in just a minute, but I want to encourage you. If God spoke to your heart, maybe you're sitting here today and you are that sheep that's gone astray. You're lost. You don't have a relationship with the father. You don't have a relationship with Jesus, the great shepherd. You're lost. The Bible says, for these things are written in first John 5 13, these things are written that ye may know that you have eternal life. You can know that you have a relationship with the Father. You can know that you can have a home in heaven where there is green pasture, where there is provision, peace, and safety. You can be safe in the Father's arms. But maybe maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking, you know what? If I were to die today, I don't know. I don't know if I have a relationship with Jesus. But I'd like to know that. In the privacy of this moment, again, nobody's looking around, but in the privacy of this moment, I'm going to say, Pastor Matt, pray for me. I'd like to know that, but I think that I'm lost this morning. I'd like to know that I have a relationship with Jesus, but I'm just not sure. If that's you, can I see your hand? Can you slip it up just in this moment so I can see? Thank you. Thank you. Hands all over the place. You can put your hands down. What I would like to do in this moment, the privacy of this moment, if you're here today and you don't know if you have a relationship with Jesus, I have good news today can be the day of salvation for you and you can pray and accept Jesus into your heart and your life will never ever be the same and what I'm going to do is I'm just going to lead in a simple prayer and if you'd like to pray along with me you can if you'd like to pray and accept Christ into your heart today you can do that as I pray you can repeat this prayer in your heart dear heavenly father thank you for this day that you've given us God thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die on the cross for us. God, thank you for caring about lost things. Today, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done wrong, but today I wanna turn from my sin and I wanna accept you as my savior. I believe that you died and rose again for me. I believe in you and in you alone not trusting in myself, I'm trusting entirely and wholly in you. Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at rockhillchurch.